We're on that overcoming the flesh. We began that last week. And uh, really, the importance of this uh, battle that we have, uh, this old flesh really is our enemy. And if we're going to win victorious uh, for the Lord in our Christian life, we've got to get to the place where we can overcome the flesh. I think it's even a greater battle, uh, a much greater struggle than the world. Uh, because the fact of the matter is, is there are, is a means of uh, putting a boundary between you and some of the world. There's a means where you can just separate yourself and, uh, you know, just not be around it and just say, okay, I'm just not going to go there. I'm not going to be around that. And you can separate yourself a lot of times from the world, but you can't separate yourself from your flesh. Your flesh is always there. It's something you're always going to be dealing with. And so you need to uh, really get, in order to overcome that, be empowered by the Lord Jesus Christ and understand how this takes place. And we went through this last week, really spent some time talking about the spirit, the soul, the body, uh, and how that we need to be directed from the spirit. And that's supposed to influence the rest of our lives instead of the world and the flesh from the outside influencing or directing our lives. Uh, we spent some time dealing with that, really tying it down to the fact that our will uh, should control our mind and our mind should control our emotions. It should go from that direction. Uh, and the example was given there, kind of a, a, a old train uh, the, the will is what's pulling things. The will is what's determining what's right. And you do that and then you make your mind do it. And then your mind makes your body do that instead of the other way around where much of society today and, and most people really are driven by their emotions. Their emotions are what motivate and move them. And as Christians, we want to overcome that. We, of course, saw Jesus Christ as our ultimate example in this and uh, certainly set the standard high for us. Now, we're going to pick up this morning uh, here. Um, I think it's looking at this. Yeah, top of page 46. Uh, the mind without the spirit cannot be subject unto God. You might want to little put an arrow or something right there and write holy above that spirit there because it's the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's, we, we've talked a lot about the mind and the spirit and the body and the will and all these things, and I don't want you to get it, get it confused, but we're talking about the Holy Spirit. The mind is not going without the Holy Spirit's direction, the Holy Spirit's power. It cannot be subject unto God because the mind... Uh, is has a nature, uh, natural tendency to be carnal. Uh, Romans 8, verse number 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. That is a mind that we, we talked to you last week. I gave you a definition of the carnal man. We talked about the natural man, the spiritual man, and the carnal man. Uh, does anybody remember the definition I gave you of the carnal man? It's somebody that's been made alive, but they're living like they're dead. You remember the natural man is spiritually dead. The spiritual man has been made spiritually alive. The carnal man is spiritually alive, but he's living like he's still dead. And so that's, that's what he says here. To be carnally minded is enmity with God. That's to be an enemy of God because you've been made spiritually alive and yet you're living like you're dead. 
Unto the pure, Titus 1.15 there, unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their minds and their conscience is defiled. So the mind, the mind is such a battleground is what the emphasis is here, uh, really trying to get across the idea that, that the mind is where we need to gain the victory. For uh, they being ignorant of God's righteousness... And going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Romans 10 uh, verse number 3. Being submitted unto God. So the mind must be renewed. We know this. If you don't have them memorized, you ought to memorize uh, Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. Uh, you know that. Uh, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our, our mind needs to be removed. Now, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Uh, these are powerful verses, and we want to look at them in the Word of God. Uh, we're going to spend a few minutes here as we're discussing this idea of having victory. So your Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. If you get to Colossians, you've gone too far. Philippians chapter number 2. Uh, and these are some familiar verses, but we're not going to read all. Just let's look maybe at verse number six. Uh, I guess let's start with verse number five. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you. And uh, he says in verse number six, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself a no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Uh, listen, the mind is where the battle takes place, and we need to have the mind of Christ. Not our mind, but the mind of Christ, a mind that's been renewed. Let this mind be in you, he says. That is the mind of Christ. We see, first of all, that uh, you need to become a servant. Become a servant. If we're going to let the mind of Christ, what, what, what type of mind did Christ have? And we see, well, what type of, we need to let the mind of Christ rule in our heart. Well, what kind of mind did he have? Well, we see that he became a servant. Um, let's, I'm jumping ahead here, but verse number six, we see he had a sacrificial mind. He had a sacrificial mind. In verse number six, he said, who being the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself a no reputation. He, he was God in the flesh. He had all power. He had a sacrificial mind. He sacrificed himself, came down and gave himself for you and I. But not only did he have a sacrificial mind, but he had a servant's mind there. You know, it must become a servant. You must humble yourself. That is, submit your mind and your body and your life unto God. Submitting your life and your mind and your body. Humble yourself. Let the Lord direct your life. Christ leaving us this very powerful example here. You know, the world's thinking, the mentality of a carnal man is me first. The world is full of self-help books and, and motivational cinema, you know, seminar, seminar yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Bo. Uh, that motive, try and basically motivate people. It's all about, you know, being more assertive and, and, you know, achieving your desire and being all that you can be and, uh, and, and just, but if we're going to let the mind of Christ be, it's Christ had a sacrificial mind. He had a 
servant's mind. And if we're going to overcome our flesh, we need to be controlled by our mind. And our mind needs to be like the mind of Christ. Not just our mind. Not just, oh, I've got more power in my mind. But we've got to have proper thinking. And it's got to be a mind directed by God. He made himself a servant. Verse number 7 there says he emptied himself. Made himself of no reputation. That literally means he emptied himself. He had all power. He was God in the flesh, yet he made himself of no reputation. You know, that's hard for us to do. Made himself of no reputation. You know, the guys are standing around in the foyer and they're talking about going to the gun range. And, and one guy says, yeah, well, I shot a, uh, you know, I had a tight pattern, three inch, three inch pattern from 50 yards, you know. And the guy, other guy's like, well, how many bullets did you have? One? You know, did you shoot one bullet? That's the three-inch pattern. Or, uh, what, what, or, or the next guy's like, oh, yeah, last time I was there, you know, I was shooting with a snub nose. I was 75 yards, and I had a two-inch pattern. You know, what, what, is, what is it that motivates us to do that? You see, we're, we're making our own reputation. To just be silent is making yourself of no reputation. And yet, most of the time, it's, it's that motivation of, oh, I'm going to make, you know, we, we, we want to look good and, and make ourselves look good, but Christ made himself of no reputation. You know, he didn't need to have a title. Um, I've had people over the years get... I, I guess I could just they get upset because they weren't chosen to be a deacon here at Hunt Valley Baptist Church. And came to me and, well, why can't I be a deacon? Or, or why wasn't I chosen to be a deacon? Christ made himself of no reputation. Why is the position or the title or name of deacon important? You know what a deacon is? A deacon's a servant. And anybody can serve. You don't need a title to get involved. You don't need somebody to give you a title and be recognized and have have something uh, attached to your name to just pick up a broom and sweep the bathrooms. You don't need a title to, to make some phone calls during the week and call some people and say, hey, I just want to check on you. Just missed you Sunday. Boy, I just, I, I sure love seeing you at church. Want to make sure you're okay. Is there anything we can pray for you about? Are, are you feeling all right? Good. Just checking. Just no, don't need anything. Just want you to know you're loved. You don't need a title to do that. So, so the goal is not to serve. The goal is to have a title. Well, Jesus Christ did the opposite. He made himself of no reputation. He wasn't looking for titles. He was just looking. He came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. That's what Christ did. That's our example. And I think sometimes we get too hung up on titles and positions instead of just saying, hey, I just want to serve. I just want to help. And, uh, you know, the Bible says, humble yourself and God will lift you up. That's, that's just the nature of it. That's what happens if you just want to get involved and just serve. But, oh, I want to be, oh, I'll, I'll do it, but I've got to be, what, what am I? I'm, the, I'm the, the director of this or the whatever title you want to give yourself instead of just show up and do whatever needs done. We ought to have that mentality, that, that idea just, hey, I just want to serve. 
I just want to humble myself as Christ did, having that type of mind, a sacrificial mind, a servant's mind. You know, Jesus Christ, he chose. It was a choice for him. He used his mind. He chose not to exercise his power. Instead, he died for me. He had all power. He could have called 10,000 angels. He could have said, I'm done with this. I'm not going to allow this uh, piddly creation that I've made to take my life. But he chose not to exercise his power. That, that is meekness. Meekness is power under control. He chose not to exercise the power that he had. And I wonder, how, what would you and I do if we had all power? That was Christ being controlled by his mind, and we need to be controlled by his, our mind as well. He had a submissive mind, verse number 8, we see, and being found in fashion as man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He became obedient, submissive, yielded to the will of the Father. We need to be obedient through trials. Do right, even if it costs something. Do right. If the stars fall, do right, as... Bob Jones Sr. used to say, do right. Now, God will exalt us. We leave the results to him. We just do right. So we see uh, in Philippians chapter number four, would you turn there? You're in Philippians. We go to Philippians chapter four, another familiar verse here. But the title there of this section where Philippians four is at is replacement thinking. Okay, God has given us a very strong principle for getting victory in your life, and that is to replace the problem. Uh, you don't say, well, uh, I'm just going to give up Mountain Dew. That's going to be very difficult unless you find something to replace it with. Because you're used to having a Mountain Dew for breakfast every day, and now you get up and you don't have anything to have for breakfast, what are you going to do? Well, you got to find something to replace it with so that you're not tempted or drawn back to that, whatever it might be. And you've got something in your life that you say, well, the Lord's not pleased with this, so I need to get it out of my life. Well, what do I have to do? i got to replace it, replace it with the right thing. So we say in Philippians chapter 4, uh, look at verse number 6. He says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Now, you know that be careful there uh, means to worry, to be anxious. Uh, and that takes place in your mind. Again, we're talking about the battle of the mind and being able to win victory here. That is controlling your mind. Be careful for nothing. Uh, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. You know, if we had uh, the mind of prayer and a mind of gratitude, it would go a long ways to help us uh, in having victory in our life. But verse number seven says, And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Your heart and mind is going to be kept through Christ Jesus if, if we're doing these things. Verse number eight, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and there be any praise, think on these things. So this is a replacement theology, the idea that you need to replace what it is you're taking out. If you've been thinking about the wrong thing or having the wrong thoughts, you need to get the right thoughts in, in there. You're going to win the battle over the flesh when you start thinking right, 
Start thinking and get your mind to control your body. So he says some carnal thinking here, some examples, is truce breakers, fearful, doubtful, biblical thinking is to think true. These are the terms given to us there in verse number eight. True, true to their promises, statements, and commitments. Um, the carnal man justifies his uh, sinful desires, justifies himself, and, oh, this is okay, or this is not that bad, or I don't know why you're worried about it. Uh, I can do it and still be a Christian. I can do it and still love God. He's justifying all of that, but biblical thinking is being honest, being honest with yourself and with God, giving honesty your highest regard. And there's several other things there that I would encourage you and your own personal devotions to look at and say, okay, am I doing these things? Is this something that is present in my life? If you want to win the battle uh, over this old flesh, that's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to get honest. You're going to have to think justly. You're going to have to think purely. You're going to have to think lovely. You know, it's controlled in the mind. Uh, it's been said, you like the kind of music you listen to, you don't listen to the music you like. Okay, that means you're making a conscious choice to listen to the right music and like it. Instead of just listening to the music that you like. You say, well, why would I do that? Because you know this old flesh likes lots of things it shouldn't like. This flesh has the appetites that it shouldn't have. There are many things that I can't let this flesh do that this flesh wants to do. So you don't just listen to whatever. Well, this is the music that I like. Well, is it the music that honors God? Is it the music that points your heart and mind towards Christ? Or is it a music that is promoting sensuality? Is it a music that's, you know, promoting you or helping you to think worldly thoughts? So you, you choose in your mind what is right, and then you have your body do that. That's how you win the battle. You get victory by choosing, by letting your mind dictate what you're going to do. Think about the right things. First Peter 1, verse number 13, he says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is brought unto you in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, this idea here of girding up the loins of your mind uh, is getting your mind under control. Uh, you know, in the, in the Bible times, they, they wore uh, a, what you'd call a toga, a long flowing robe. And the men, when they went into battle, or the men, when they went to go uh, work on something, they would gird up, they would wrap up their, their toga and put tie it into a belt so that they could have their hands free so that they could get to work. And so he's saying, hey, there's some things you got to get under control. You got to pull it in. You got to gird it up. You got to wrap it with a belt. You got to get it in control if you want to have victory. And the problem is, is too many have been letting their emotions and their passions, the Bible calls them lust, dictate what they do. Don't tell me this is wrong. This is what I like. I've always enjoyed that. But it is, is it what honors and pleases God? Is it what brings the most glory to the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it going to further the cause of Christ? Or is it just what you like? 
we, we have to determine if we're talking about getting this flesh under control is we look at it and say, okay, is this what pleases God? Then this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I will do. And you force yourself to do that because it's what pleases God, not because what your flesh likes. There's a lot of things this flesh likes that I can't let it do. There's a little thing here he has marked in your notes there that he has put, my colors will be clear. Um, This is a mission statement, I guess you could say, written by somebody many, many years ago. He says, I'm a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his and I won't look back. Let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm done and finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, uh, colorless dreams, tame visions, mundane talk, cheap living, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need uh, preeminence, prosperity, position, promotion, platitudes, or popularity. I don't have to be right or first or top or recognized or praised or rewarded. I live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by his patience, lift, lift, uh, lifted by his prayer, and labor by the power of the Holy Spirit. My face is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven. My road may be narrow, my way rough, my companions few, but my guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I will not be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice or hesitate in the presence of adversity. I will not negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or Miranda at the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I must give until I drop, preach until I know, till all know, work until he comes. And when he does come for his own, he'll have no problem recognizing me because my colors will be clear. That is somebody who's made the decision in their mind how they're going to live. And that's what we as believers need to do. We, we need to get the mind under control. The key verse to fight the flesh is put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Make not provision for the flesh. That seems like such a simple, practical thing, but we can't make provision for the flesh. Uh, if you want to get victory, you got to stop providing for it. You want to stop doing something, you know, you got to stop making it possible. It seems so fundamental and so basic, and yet so many people, you know, a guy has problem with pornography and wants victory over that. He's got he's to stop making it possible. He's got to put some type of, of guard on his phone, some accountability software. He's got to put something that locks his device so he cannot get to it. He's got every means of of getting to pornography. He's addicted to it. He can't get victory over it, yet he keeps providing for it. He keeps making provision for it, finding a way. Well, you're never going to get victory that way. You have got to put some barriers up. You've got to draw some lines in the sand. You've got to say, hey, I've got to stop making provision for this if I want to get victory over it. And there are means and capacities. There's ways that you can do that. 
Ultimately, you could just go get a dumb phone. Nobody said you have to have a smartphone today. You could say, I'm just going to get one that does what phones were made to do. Make a phone call. That's all, you, it's all I need it for. I just need to be able to make a phone call. And I know there's a lot of conveniences that we have on our phones today, but you need to have some type of protection on there. You need to have some type of a guard to protect you and your family from the world. But that's just one example. There are many other ways that we make provision for our flesh. The snooze button is provision for the flesh, amen? That's like, that's like just, it's designed to just give your flesh a little more, just a little more, uh, just 10 more minutes, you know? That whole provision for the flesh, that, that if we want to, you know, these college guys know, in the dorm, guys that have a hard time waking up, they'll take their alarm clock and put it on the other side of the room because they... they if it's right close to them, they're going to turn it off and they'll sleep right through class. So they, their alarm clock's all around the other side of the room. The problem is, is it still doesn't wake them up. And then it's waking up everybody in their room and the people in the next room Well, the guy's alarm clock's going off. We had this guy in college next room over from my brother Daniel and I, 5.30 every morning. He was super spiritual. He would set his alarm for 5.30 every day because that was the earliest you could get up. He was never out of bed before 7.00. But every morning, his alarm went off at 5.30. <laughs> One morning, my brother Dan got up. He went over into that room. He grabbed that alarm clock and ripped it out of the wall. And he says, if your alarm clock wakes me up one more time, I'm going to feed it to you. <laughs> you know, that wasn't very spiritual. But, uh, you know, this guy, he set his alarm for 5.30 every morning, but never got up. You've got to stop making provision for the flesh if you want to have victory. Our number one enemy is this old flesh. Putting your life in order. This, this old flesh is our number one enemy. You know, we've got the world and we've got the devil, but this is what we live with. This is with us all the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can't put up much barriers. Uh, you, can't get that, you can't get away from your flesh like you can the world. I mean, it's awesome. We get to come to church and we get to get away from the world for a little bit. It's like a reprieve. It's like a place of rest. But you all know we bring this flesh into the church house. And, and that's why sometimes we get offended at each other because we have an old flesh. And people say things and, and our flesh doesn't like it. We get offended. So key is just don't make provision for it. The fact of the matter is we know uh, we need to deny our flesh. That is, you must say no to your will and your desires. Matthew 16, 24. Matthew 16, 24 says, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We've got to deny our flesh. Just say no to the flesh. Just say no to the flesh. And that's an exercise in discipline. Um, I was just joking a few minutes ago about giving up Mountain Dew. But I have several times in my life just said, okay, I'm not going to drink Mountain Dew. And for the next, you know, for the next year. For no other reason than just to, for me to say, I'm going to put my body under subjection. I'm going to deny my flesh something that I enjoy. There's nothing sinful about that. But I, I'm going to just, just to exercise control over the flesh. And we need to do that. We need to exercise. That's how you get stronger at it. Deny your flesh. We need to mortify our flesh. That goes one step beyond. Uh, that word mortify means put to death, right? We need to put, it, put that old flesh to death. Um, Colossians 3.5. You know, mortify your flesh. Put it to death. You know, a dead man doesn't have any feelings. 
Um, we were eating dinner last night with some of the church family and uh, enjoying some good fellowship. And Joe and Kim were there, and they were talking about how they process uh, their chickens. Uh, they dispatch them, and uh, they uh, put them into a plucker. I asked them, do you have a plucker, or do you pluck it by hand? They're like, oh, we have a plucker. And uh, some of the people there didn't know what a plucker was or how it worked. And they're like, well, what is it? And he's like, oh, it's this drum that has all these rubber fingers in there. And then you, you stick the chicken in there and it spins really fast, spins them around really fast. And these rubber things just pull all the, uh, and the process in which he told it, he kind of forgot to mention that you dispatch them first before you put them in the plucker. <laughs> and somebody else was like, they're alive when they do that? <laughs> He's like, um, no, they've been dispatched before we put them in the plucker. Uh, and they're like, oh. Uh, but, I mean, they're like, they're worried about these chickens going through all that pain. Like, man, you, you stick them in a plucker alive? And uh, he's like, no, we don't do that. That would not be humane. We, we dispatch them first, and then we stick them in a plucker. You know, he's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Uh, worried about them going through all that pain. But, you know, once uh, the thing's been dispatched, it, uh, it doesn't have any feelings. It no longer feels that pain. And, uh, you know, a lot of the problems that we have in church could be solved pretty easily if we could mortify this flesh. If we could just dispatch the flesh, because when the flesh is dead, it doesn't have any feelings. And, and the feelings aren't, uh, you, you can't hurt the feelings of a dead man. And that's what we're supposed to be. And yet so many times we get offended at each other and we have problems and, and we have these situations that we have to deal with because we have not learned how to mortify the flesh. We need to mortify the flesh, he says. We need to put off the flesh. That's uh, Colossians 3.8. But now you also put off all things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communications out of your mouth. These put, put these things off. And we've talked about Ephesians chapter 4 being the put off and put on uh, principle is taught there. And we put off the flesh and put on spirituality. You put on the new man, put on the new man. Uh, we have a new heart that enables us. Uh, We have new eyes uh, that we get to see with, new ears we hear with, new feet we walk with. Uh, Put on the new man, Colossians 3.10. And we know that James 1, 14 and 15, we know we're tempted and drawn away of our own lusts. It's our own desires. It's its old flesh, the desires and passions that we have. And we're going to win the victory for the Lord. We've got to uh, be able to control that. And you do it through your mind. Now, there's this little chart here. comparisons, the spirit-filled believer will guard himself from the lust of the flesh. You, you look at those things, sins of sensuality, adultery for what they are, and then the use of them. You just look at that in your own and, and see if those things are present in your life. And then the last page here, the fruit of the spirit, that we see the fruit of the spirit should be evident in our lives. As Christians, the spirit should be at work. And the things of the flesh should be less and less and less And the fruit of the Spirit should be more and more and more as we're walking in the Spirit. And this is an ongoing battle that we have for the rest of our lives. It's not something you're going to wake up one day and all of a sudden get the victory in. You you have to continue to fight it. But there's several examples here. Uh, Love. Love is the Christian grace that fulfills the law. And that should be going. And we've taught on the fruit of the Spirit before. Uh, Joy and peace are the new normal state for the Christian uh, the new graces that we have that are, help us with our relationship to others. 
Uh, this long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, these are graces that are given to us, the fruit of the Spirit that should be evident, and that final grace which produces self-control, temperance. Um, I want to give you, as we conclude here, you, you look at those things, but as we conclude, I want to give you uh, four signs. You can just make a note on the bottom of your page there or on the back or somewhere, but there's four signs of a fleshly person, someone that's still living by the flesh, instead of living in and by the Spirit, controlled by his mind. First of all, and uh, you guys know when you're, uh, that when you have a bunch of things that say the same thing, you don't have to write everything down every time. Uh, you can just do the ditto marks. So that we, If I'm going through this too fast, you can do that because each statement is relatively close to the same. So first of all is when the body is more important than the soul. So somebody's living by the flesh. The flesh is controlling them when the body is more important than the soul. That, that is, they are more concerned about satisfying this fleshly desires. They're uh, more indulgent. Uh, they look for pleasures even though they're going to hurt them spiritually. They're, they're, they're not concerned about damaging or hurting their soul or their spirituality. They're more concerned about having or enjoying uh, the essential pleasures of this life. So when the body is more important than the soul. Secondly, when pleasure is more important than purpose. When pleasure is more important than purpose. A man with a Christ-like mind lives with a higher purpose in mind. There is something that motivates us beyond just current. I mean, we are looking towards eternity. Like Jesus who set his face as a flint. All through Jesus Christ's life, he was tempted in every point like you and I are. But there's something that motivated him to say no. What was it? The, the souls of men. He was dying and set his face as a flint at that cross where he would suffer and die, but ultimately would provide salvation for mankind. He looked at that higher purpose and was able to deny himself while he was here on earth. We need to live with a purpose, not just looking for pleasure. This world is looking for pleasure. So when pleasure is more important than purpose. Thirdly, when profits are more important than purity. When profits are more important than purity. When we're willing to do whatever we need to or want to do for gain. When that's more important than living a pure holy life. Than bringing honor and glory to God. When seeking after the dollar is the priority instead of seeking after spiritual things. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Somebody that is fleshly, carnally minded, is going to be seeking after profit instead of purity. Lastly, when the sensual is more important than the spiritual. When the sensual is more important than the spiritual. We are a very sensually driven society. That is the flesh summed up. And what we've got to do, you know, if, if somebody would rather um, sit and watch a movie than go to a preaching service. Oh, I would much rather watch a movie than go to church. Okay, then you're leaning towards being carnally minded. You're leaning towards uh, being, this, desiring the things of the world more than the things of God. So you need to check yourself there. When, when, when we would rather pursue uh, things of this world than pursue things of the next world. 
um, living for those things. So there's some signs of somebody that's, that's fleshly that I wanted to give you. And this concludes our lesson on overcoming the flesh. And this is a vital lesson. Having victory is it takes place this battleground of the mind controlling your emotions instead of your emotions controlling you. And uh, you can do it if you have the mind of Christ. And you get the mind of Christ through yielding to him, submitting to him, obeying him. And that mind begins to control us week by week.